Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast, my name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, my man, we are here. It's been too long. I feel like we've been taking a lot of breaks lately, but we've had some shit going on personally in both of our lives. Yeah, we've been busy. I've been busy with work. I'm cooked at this point just because work's been hectic, to say the least. And I imagine it's got to be the same for you on the other side as well. Yeah, for sure. Definitely had a, a long week this week, but a good week. And then, you know, obviously last weekend I was in the Keys, got back pretty late. So um, it was just a nice little getaway like you had with Texas, but still ready to get back to the grind. Yes, sir. Ready to dive into these topics? we got a bunch to go through. Oh, man. NBA playoffs to hear you, baby. Yes, sir. So the first two topics that we're going to go over, we're going to focus on the two remaining playing tournament games. So in the Eastern Conference, we have the Hawks going up against the Cavs. And in the Western Conference, we have the Pelicans and the Clippers. So we'll go over each of those games individually. It should be pretty fun. And then once those play-in tournament games are set, we will transition straight into the NBA playoffs. And they get started this weekend, and we got some great matchups to focus on. There's going to be three in particular that we're going to focus on. Uh, We're going to focus the first one being on the Warriors and the Nuggets. Uh, Steph Curry is expected to make his return to the lineup for the Golden State Warriors when they face off against the Denver Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs. He's been out for the last couple of weeks with a lingering foot issue. So talk about his presence uh, for Golden State moving forward. After that, we'll talk about Luka Doncic and the impact that his injury could present the Dallas Mavericks when they go up against the Utah Jazz. Uh, that should be a very compelling series, but uh, it will definitely be hindered if Luka is not able to be ready to go for that series against the Jazz. And then after that, we'll round out the episode with the Brooklyn Nets going up against the Boston Celtics. So the Celtics the Celtics are the two seed. The Nets are the seven seed. A lot of people are focusing on the reemergence of the Nets within like the last couple of weeks or so. At one point, they were the 10 seed. They found their way all the way up to the seven seed. They're going up against probably the hottest team in basketball the second half of the year, which is the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics find themselves in a great position, but it is going to be a very tough matchup uh, going up against the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs. So that is what we have on the agenda. Let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into the first play-in tournament game that's going to take place uh, this upcoming weekend, and that is going to be the Hawks and the Cavs. So when we look at this matchup between the Hawks and the Cavs, this is the last playoff 
seed that is remaining in the Eastern Conference. I imagine both teams are going to be gnawing at the bit to get this game underway. The Cavs had a pretty close performance against the Brooklyn Nets. Unfortunately, they lost the road game to the Nets just a couple of days ago. I think they really missed uh, Jared Allen's presence in that game. Then they kick it over to the Hawks. The Hawks just absolutely demolished the Charlotte Hornets, beating them by almost 30 points. It was just an absolute train wreck of a game for the Hornets, but the Hawks definitely showed that they are ready to contend for a possible playoff berth if they were to get this win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Hawks going up against the Cavs to get the last seed in the Eastern Conference, who do you have winning and why? So I'm just going to be clear-cut concise here. I got Atlanta um, for the sheer fact of Cleveland has not been the same since the All-Star break. Jared Allen has been the anchor of that team, whether on the defensive side, whether uh, a spark and catching oops and, you know, putting people on posters, blocking shots, whatever it is that, you know, he has provided to this team. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, he hasn't been there in a little bit over a month. The Cavaliers have lost, I believe, nine or 10 out of the last 12 games in the last couple of months. So you're looking at this team and you're saying, this is a shell of themselves just because they're missing one person. Jared Allen doesn't even score that much, but it goes to show they live and die with that defensive presence from inside the paint, him altering shots, his presence in the pick and roll. Uh, just everything that Jared Allen kind of brings to the table has just kind of like dwindled in terms of what the Cavaliers have been able to put out there on the court. And uh, Darius Garland has really had to shoulder that load. Uh, Chris Levert has not been able to perform at a consistent level. There have been games when he drops 30, but then the next game he's got 11. So um, there hasn't really been enough from this team for me to have faith, especially after the performance that they had against Brooklyn the other night. And granted, I know that, you know, Cleveland came back later in that game, but that seemed to be relatively in some garbage time as Kyrie went off, KD went off, and they kind of did their own thing and kind of coasted in the fourth quarter to where garbage points really didn't make it a difference. But what I'm trying to get at is, Trey Young's been having a great year all season. Hasn't really been talked about. I believe he scored the most points this year and also had the most assists uh, in the same season, which hasn't been done in NBA history in terms of Trey Young also did that in college. That is a, a mark that needs to be noted and needs to be respected. Trey Young's also averaging almost 29 points per game. He's averaging nine assists per game. Trey Young is somebody to be respected and, and notably so. So, when you have somebody like that that's just kind of on that confidence, I mean, the Hawks were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and the Hawks have underperformed very much so, being, I believe, what is it, the 10th seed uh, this year, Kyle? They were the ninth seed. From a top five-seeded team last season all the way down to basically out of the top eight. It, it, it's a concerning year, very up and down. Uh, they had some injuries early on and definitely – had some inconsistencies throughout the season, but they found a way to do what they needed to do in the first round against Charlotte, and they actually dominated almost by 30. And now you're looking at a weakened Cleveland team that is kind of looking on the outside in now at this point because one more loss and sends them packing. Um, Cleveland used to be a top three-seeded team just a few months back, and we're talking about them not even making the playoffs. This may be one of the worst regular season collapses I've ever seen. I'm going with Atlanta all the way, and I don't even think it's going to be close. I think Atlanta goes and gets that eight seed for sure, and uh, even goes back to the drawing board once more. Kevin, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. I got the Hawks winning this one and by a substantial margin as well. And I think it's really the point that you made about Jared Allen. If Jared Allen's not able to go in this game against the Hawks, I see Clint Capella 
on the other side for the Hawks, just absolutely dominating the paint down low. I mean, for God's sakes, Clint Capella, he had 15 points in the game against the Hornets the other night. But the most impressive stat line that I saw from Clint Capella specifically was his rebounds. He had 17 boards in that game. And if you're faced with a situation where Cleveland does not have Jared Allen ready to go, I mean, for God's sakes, Clint Capella could go out there and get 20 boards if he wanted to because he's not going to face that much resistance from what the Cavs have at their disposal. And the one thing that I like about the Hawks in this matchup is that you beat the Hornets in the first play-in tournament game, but the way that they did it I thought was extremely impressive because it wasn't just Trey Young that brought it for Atlanta in that game against the Hornets. I mean, they got great contributions from DeAndre Hunter, Danilo Gallinari, even Bogdanovich chipped in with 13 points. Uh, Clint Capel, like I said, he had 15. You know, they were able to get good production across the board other than just Trey. And that was really what made Atlanta special last year is that they were able to get great contributions, not only from Trey Young, but they got it from Kevin Herter. They got it from Bogdanovich. They were able to get it from Clint Capella. And even though that this year in particular, the Hawks have struggled, they've been an up and down team to say the least. I think in this matchup against Cleveland, I think they'll be able to expose just the injury-riddled Cavs as far as Jared Allen not being able to go in that game. And and the thing is, like about the Cavs, I, I want to focus on them for a second here. The Cavs, just the the difference between having Jared Allen compared to Evan Mobley. Granted, I know Evan Mobley is kind of up and coming still. He's still relatively young in his NBA career, and he definitely has a lot of promise. It's just that Jared Allen is just a difference maker. He's been in the league for multiple years at this point. His veteran leadership is definitely respectable, not only with the Cavs, but across the league as well. And when you miss a presence like that, it, there's definitely going to be a void uh, because of his absence. And despite the fact that Evan Mobley has been decent in stretches for Cleveland this year, it's just not the same. And, when you look at the defensive issues that Cleveland, I think, is going to have against the Atlanta Hawks, I think it's going to be significant because I don't think they're going to really have a significant defensive presence in the paint, ten to fifteen out, uh, ten to fifteen feet outside. And I think that's going to leave them exposed, and it's going to put guys like Darius Garland, Karis Levert, and maybe Laurie Markkinen to a certain extent, where they're going to have to excel and go above and beyond to get them this game. Maybe even Kevin Love has to step up and play better because Kevin Love only had 14 points in that game against the Nets the other night. So they're definitely going to need more production across the board from essentially everybody outside of Darius Garland because Garland was really the one that shouldered the weight of that game against the Nets. So, I mean, overall, you know, when I look at this game in totality, I picked the Hawks this one in this one. Um, I could potentially see them winning this game by 10 or 15 points. Uh, just because I think that their offensive firepower is going to be too much for Cleveland to handle. Had Jared Allen been in, in this game, I would probably side with Cleveland by a smidge. But with him not going to be in this game, I think the Hawks win this one in convincing fashion and they get the last seed uh, in the Eastern Conference. That's just how I see it. It's going to be, uh, I can't even lie, unless Garland comes out and, like, and I mean absolutely takes over a game, in which we've seen in certain stretches this year for Cleveland to where he dominates and goes for 30 and 10 or more, um, we're going to need to see the Caris Levert from Brooklyn. We're going to need a 30-plus game to keep their hopes alive. And even at that, 
Kevin Love, can you give me 15 and 10? Um, I mean, who else is on this roster? Evan Mobley, can you give me 10 to 15 points with maybe four or five assists and maybe five, six rebounds? Can, can this roster really um, surprise the world and show everybody that, that this wasn't a fluke? Again, I mentioned earlier, this team was competing for a top three seed. Just, just what, January, February? And we're talking about... They were, they were competing for a all? two seed. It was a, it was a two seed that they were competing for. And we're talking about them absolutely having the biggest collapse in the Eastern Conference this year. And I get it. Injuries are a big part of it. But for you guys not to be able to even kind of keep a top eight seed to just fall out within the play-in tournament, it, it's beyond me. But, you know, neither here nor there. We got a whole nother game to cover. I don't, I don't want to kind of dwell on it at all. Uh, all I'm going to say is that Karis LeVert, he's got to step up. The guy played 40 minutes last game against the Nets and scored 12 points. Like I know, Karis has, I know Karis has a lot more to offer than that, and I imagine that he's probably uh, not too pleased with his performance against the Nets. But they're going to need all hands on deck because I think Karis needs to play better. Marketing needs to play better. Um, they need Kevin Love to play better, you know, and they don't have Colin Sexton in as well because Colin Sexton is out. So that's just Cleveland's just dealing with too many injuries at this point, and I think that the Hawks are going to roll, but. Um, We'll just see how that game plays out. Now, with that said, we will transition into our second play-in tournament of discussion, and that is going to be the Pelicans going up against the Clippers. Now, in this game specifically, we're going to focus on the two primary uh, players from each team, and that is CJ McCollum with the Pelicans and Paul George for the Clippers. Now, when we look at this matchup of CJ McCollum and Paul George, these are clearly the best players on their respective teams. Uh, CJ McCollum had a pretty solid game in the first playing game just a couple of nights ago. Dropped over 30 points. Led them over uh, the San Antonio Spurs uh, to get them that win. And then we got the Clippers. You got Paul George. Paul George has really had to take uh, the leadership role with this team um, in regards to the Clippers this year because Kawhi Leonard is still recovering from an ACL injury that he suffered last year. And this will be a very interesting matchup when these two teams go at it and these two specific players go at it in this matchup versus with the uh, Pelicans going up against the Clippers. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you with the matchup of CJ McCollum going up against Paul George, who do you favor and who do you think is going to come out on top when it's all said and done? I'm going with the underdog, man. The Clippers have not been able to show me on a consistent basis that without Kawhi Leonard, they can remain relevant. I know that Paul George was hurt for a great portion of the year. I know for a fact that they have changed rotations uh, in terms of starting lineup quite a bit this year as well. I know that Reggie Jackson has been a consistent spark in that starting lineup. And I know that, you know, obviously, you know, Zubox has been a big presence in the paint. But from what I saw the other night and how they mentally just completely fell apart against Minnesota, the Pat Beverly was just in everybody's head the other night. I mean, like they were unable to stop anything for the most part in terms on a defensive side. And then you go and you look at the Pelicans game the other night, CJ McCollum got the shots everywhere against the Spurs. CJ McCollum absolutely torched them for, what, 32 points? CJ just, he wanted it more. You you saw that he was getting getting off on that. He just, he wanted the spotlight on him. He wanted to take the big shots. He wanted to be the guy on a team because obviously he's always played second fiddle to Dame. And I know that Brandon Ingram is probably the star of this team just strictly because Brandon Ingram is just that guy. Brandon Ingram has always been that guy since he left L.A. because he can give you 
25 to 30 on any given night because of his ability to shoot the basketball and finish at the rim. But you go and you put Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum in a pick and roll situation to where it's a pick and pop or a pick and roll to literally, you know, kick out to somebody in the corner. I, I like New Orleans. I think that New Orleans actually has the opportunity to sit here and take advantage of a beat up Clippers team, uh, a Clippers team that's kind of down in the dumps after a collapse that they had against Minnesota. And I, I think that CJ McCollum genuinely from the bottom of my heart, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because he got traded mid season and he went to a pretty shitty team. And, and, and now you're looking at him and you're saying, wow, um, hold on a second. This guy is actually playing as hard as he possibly can to make an impact on a team that was a playing team pretty much all season. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that New Orleans was either 11th or 12th all season long. And they kind of like ended the season with, a good stretch to where they're now playing in the playing tournament and are fighting for an eight seed. So, um, yeah, no, I'm definitely going to go with CJ McCollum and I'm going to go with the Pelicans, man. I'm going with the upset. Yeah. And I'm going to be, um, going to be on the opposite side on this one. I'm going to go with Paul George, uh, simply just because, and despite the fact that the Clippers lost to the Timberwolves the other night, it wasn't because of Paul George. Paul George was great. As far as I'm concerned, dropped 34 points at seven rebounds, five assists. I mean, look, He's the number one guy because Kawhi's not in the lineup because of his ACL injury. But Paul George went out there and played to the best of his abilities. Granted, they came up short, but he he was a stud as far as I'm concerned. And I think going into this matchup against the Pelicans, I think the one thing that the Clippers can kind of use to their advantage in this one is that when you look at this roster, Kevin, I think you could pretty much agree with me on this one. The Clippers roster is a little bit older. Not as old as what the Lakers have. That's a completely separate discussion. But I like the fact that you got some decent veteran pl- players that the Clippers have in this roster. I mean, outside of Paul George, you got Reggie Jackson, who's been phenomenal in stretches, not just this year specifically, but really the last couple of years. He's really taken his game to another level since he originally started with the Thunder when he first got into the NBA. I like the fact that Marcus Morris comes in plays 30 minutes, and he can give you 15 to 20 points here and there. I like the fact that Norman Powell and Robert Covington uh, can get on the board and provide a good spark here and there. It's just it didn't work out against the Timberwolves the other night. I think in this matchup, I think they're going to learn from their mistakes. I think they're looking at that fourth quarter specifically. They just fell apart. They couldn't knock down shots, and the T-Wolves just got hot. And that was really the difference maker in that game because – the Clippers got outscored in the fourth quarter, 31-20. to 20. And I imagine with veteran leaders like this, with Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, they are not going to let that happen against a younger, inexperienced team with the New Orleans Pelicans. I like the fact that the Pelicans, despite the fact that they've been a team that's kind of been on the outside looking in as far as being a competitor in the Western Conference, but that didn't stop them from absolutely playing lights out against the San Antonio Spurs the other night to put them in this position. So I like what the Pelicans have done up to this point, just getting here and providing a good show against the Spurs the other night. I just don't think it's going to be enough. I I think that CJ could probably drop another 30 points against the Clippers just because I think CJ is going to get some open looks and I think he's going to be able to knock them down. But I do think that Paul George, I think Paul George is going to go for 35 points, maybe even 36 or 37 when it's all said and done. And I think just that presence alone is going to get the Clippers an edge over 
the Pelicans. I, this is going to be a very competitive game. I'm not saying like one team is going to blow out the other or vice versa. This is going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be like a five-point game when it's all said and done. But I'm giving the edge uh, to Paul George and the Clippers in this one. And the and the, uh, the Clippers would get the last seed in the Western Conference. That's just how I see it. Listen, Paul's got a lot to prove for me. Um, obviously, with him missing so much time and obviously kind of being that second fiddle behind Kawhi for the last two or three seasons, um, he's got to show me that he's willing to take over this game and he's got to show me that he is going to be able to lead this team despite you know his running mate being out of commission. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely want to see that that Paul George in Indiana, that Paul George of OKC where he just completely says, give me the rock, I'm doing what I got to do. And we saw glimpses of it last year to where he was actually shaking that pandemic P narrative to where he was able to lead them into the Western Conference Finals and actually do what he needed to do. But there were shades and times to where he turned the ball over at the most inconvenient times. He missed some clutch free throws, bad shot selection. I mean, you name it. Just the stat sheet was there of 30-plus points, 10-plus rebounds, five or more assists. But that key situational awareness just wasn't. And, you know – Paul's got to be able to do that for this team, especially right now, because we all know without this man, this team is a lottery team. And I'm not saying that to disrespect, you know, Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris or Ty Lue or any of the people on this on, on this organization or in this roster. But let's be honest. I mean, those are all kind of like role players kind of past their prime that I don't know if they'd be able to compete consistently in a Western Conference. And except I know that Reggie, they have this except team- for Reggie. Yeah, they, they 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 kept this team relatively afloat while Paul was absent and obviously while Kawhi was out. So they were able to do something. But in terms of an entire season without the two superstars that they've basically given up their entire future for and all their cap, I don't know if the Clippers are going to be that team for me, which is, again, why I give New Orleans that edge because they have nothing to lose. If If L.A. fails to even make the playoffs, this is another wasted year of their prime. This is another reason why they're going to say Paul George wasn't able to carry a team despite Kawhi being gone. And there's going to be a bunch of different narratives. Are they going to blow it up? Are they going to try to get pieces for different players? There's a lot of sure for LA right now. It's immensely high to win this game. Oh, well, I mean, 100%. And it's like you said, I think there's a lot of pressure on the Clippers to get this win over the Pelicans. Because when you look at the Pelicans, I mean, there's, they're a relatively young team, by and large. I mean, CJ's kind of the vet. Say, C, CJ's a vet. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas, he's a vet. But, I mean, you know, once you really start going down this roster, I mean, a lot of these guys are in their early or mid-20s. You know, you got a couple of guys that may be in their late-20s, but, you know, the Pelicans have a lot of youth to work with, and maybe they, they can use that to their advantage against the Clippers. And, and the Clippers are an older roster compared to what the Pelicans have. Maybe they exploit that. Maybe, maybe they get the Clippers on a break. You know, maybe they're able to force some turnovers and, and use it against them uh, consistently in that game. So it would kind of shock me if, if the Pelicans were able to find a way uh, into the Western Conference playoffs, just because they've been a team that's been outside looking in throughout pretty much the entire year. But if they were able to sneak their way into the playoffs as the eight seed, I, I, I'd have to t- give a tip of the cap as far as I'm uh, as far as I'm concerned, just because. I didn't expect that coming. So, you know, and, and who knows? I I don't think Zion's coming back if the, the Pelicans were able to make the eight seed. But just saying, the storyline is there. That's a whole different – that's a whole different thing. We out here seeing this man do 360 windmill dunks and warm-ups. 
But he can play. Okay. He's he's close. He's close. I don't want to hear, bro. If your foot was hurting that bad, you would not be able to jump as explosively as you are and, and shoot around. I don't want to hear that. Straight up, I would it, not be letting him do that. I, I don't know if that's really the issue per se. I think it's more of a conditioning standpoint. I don't think he's in game, Yeah, but the report that we had saw just a few weeks ago was his foot was still lingering and a second surgery might still be lingering in the offseason. So we're talking about your be. career is on the line and you're sitting there windmill dunking before a, a playoff game. Like, what are we doing here? It, it, it could be. And maybe the second surgery that they're talking about is maybe more of just a procedural a procedural one instead of, like, a complete, like, reconstruction. So, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, to, Zion's still relatively young. I don't know what's going to happen with his foot. But I'll tell you this. You know, for somebody that is that oversized to begin with and is already dealing with foot issues, that is – hopefully that doesn't linger Not a good look. throughout, Not throughout a good his career. But – you know, a lot of people are going to cite the fact that, you know, that his weight is a factor in that. And it is. And it's also his his playing style as well. His playing style is so, what's the best way that I could describe it? It's so freaking jump heavy. Like, yeah, there's so much, he gets so much lift whenever he jumps. There's a fucking moth in my oh, Sorry. But. It's all, it's all good. But. Got to do, got to Mr. Miyagi that shit. I know, like I wish I had like a little electric zapper thing to go get him. But no, I mean, all in all, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, I hope these these injuries don't linger for Zion because I know that he's he's exciting to watch, and it's it'd be unfortunate if uh, in- injuries played his career. But you know, this comes with the territory. You know, injuries are a part of the game. It's it's an unfortunate way of looking at things, but. Uh, we'll see what happens with with uh, Zion. You know, it'd be cool to see him play in the playoffs, even though he's missed the entire year. But um, that that is one thing that we ended up getting right, that he wouldn't miss the entire regular season. So not to, like, pat ourselves on the back, but with one of the very few times that Kevin and I were actually... We're right actually about right. Dan, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the Blazers were a lost cause this year. That that was kind of the difference. Pelicans yeah. had, had flashes, but... Hey, if they sneak their way into the playoffs, I, I got to give them credit for that because I didn't expect that. But with that said, we're going to transition into one of our featured uh, playoff discussions, and that is going to be uh, Steph Curry and his return for the Golden State Warriors when they go up against the Denver Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs. Now, Steph has been dealing with a lingering foot issue for the last couple of weeks, but it is looking very optimistically that Steph is going to return for game one for the Warriors, and I would assume that his presence on that roster is going to be pivotal going into that series against Nikola Jokic, who could potentially win back-to-back MVPs and going up against some solid players that the Nuggets have on their roster, guys like Aaron Gordon, uh, Monte Morris, Michael Green. They're going to need Steph ready to go for that series. Hopefully the... uh, that foot that foot injury uh, is not a concern moving forward into this series. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Steph Curry returning for the Golden State Warriors when they go up against the Denver Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs, just how impactful is that going to be for Golden State moving forward? 
Well, it's going to be extremely impactful. I mean, we're talking about the greatest shooter of all time. We're talking about somebody that demands to be guarded right when he gets out of the car in the parking lot. We're, we're talking about a guy that changes the dynamic of the game and how a defense is, and how a defense completely strategizes against him. The man can pull from half court and beyond. We've seen him do it. Um, we know that when he gets hot, it's very scary. Him and Clay on the same court together, let alone when one of them gets hot, you kind of have to go and double the other, leave the other one open. Um, I, I feel that, you know, with the addition of Clay coming back, with Jordan Poole's emergence, with Steph Curry um, playing as good as he was playing before he got injured, I think that him playing is that X factor. And obviously the first couple of games, maybe game one and maybe going into game two, he's going to be in a little bit of a slump. It's, he's been gone for a little bit, but they said that he was a full participant in practice today. So I would assume that he's going to be playing with maybe a minute restriction, uh, maybe just, you know, kind of being a little bit easy going into it. I don't I don't necessarily see him driving into the paint necessarily all game long. But again, if you're a full participant in practice, I would assume that there are no holds barred. Plus, it's the playoffs, so you can't exactly have your best player limited. Um, I really, really think that when Steph is on the court, Clay plays that much better because you, you got to pick your poison and you got to figure out if, if Steph's hot, do you leave Clay open? If Clay gets hot, do you leave Steph open? And it's just a it's, – it's a dynamic duo of, of some of a magnitude that you necessarily can't predict. And now you have an emerging young star in Jordan Poole that has improved his jump shot, has become deadly in his own right, to where you're like, what the hell am I supposed to do here All when all three of them are on the court? You got Steph at the one, Poole at the two, Clay at the three. You got three knockdown shooters that just stretch the floor. And then if they go small ball with Draymond at the five, I mean, who's to say they just literally all stand outside of the perimeter? So Steph Curry just makes a team better, even if he runs around and he's the decoy, even if he has an off night. We know for a fact that Clay and everybody else on that team can step up and kind of shoulder the load themselves. Um, I'm going to make a point here quickly just before I pass it back to Kyle. I am a little bit worried about their interior defense because if they get Draymond in foul trouble and Kavon Looney in foul trouble, Nikola Jokic is going to eat this team alive because they don't have much depth, especially without Wiseman. Um, We've talked about this multiple times. Nikola Jokic is our favorite to win the MVP in, in, his, in back-to-back years. I think that Nikola Jokic's play this season has shown that, you know, even without his running mate, he can carry a team into a playoff position. You go into a, a, a not-deep Golden State team in terms of at that big position, he might go and average 30 this series. I'm not saying that they're going to win, but I would not be surprised if this series were to go to six or seven if Steph struggles and if Steph is kind of still like recovering uh, steadily throughout this game, or should I say the series, just keep an eye out for Nikola Jokic because I think that he's going to actually not bully his way into scoring a good amount, maybe averaging a triple-double. But if his teammates can knock down some shots, I think that the Nuggets can potentially give the Warriors a decent run. Oh, Kevin, I, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. And, and the thing about uh, Golden State that I always have to factor uh, when it comes to these playoff runs is – if Steph is able to knock down his shots on a consistent basis, I truly believe this. Like, Golden State can end up in the Western Conference Finals as long as they play their cards right and they play somewhat decent defense. Because here's the thing about Golden State. I think everybody focuses on, on Steph, and deservedly so. You know, Steph is, as far as I'm concerned, he is probably this generation's most impactful player, even more so than LeBron James, because... He revolutionized the three-point shot to a point that had never been seen before. And with that said, 
it's made Golden State a title contender for the last, what, five to six years at this point. And the thing is, granted, he's coming off of a foot injury that he's been dealing with the last couple weeks. And I need, need to see how it works initially. But I think he's going to be able to shake off the rust fairly quickly. I remember I was reading a report about his status going into this series saying that he was refreshed, that he seemed focused going into this matchup against the Nuggets. And I think if you're looking at it from a Golden State perspective, you have to be very confident about where Steph's head's at at this point because if he's looking ready to go and he's refreshed and feeling like 100%, that's got to be a nightmare scenario for the Nuggets because if Steph gets into a hot streak going into this series, you know that could prove to be pretty deadly uh, against Denver in that regard. And not only that, I think when you look at Golden State at this point, I think with Steph back in the lineup, it makes them favorites in this series over the Nuggets. I'm not going to say overwhelming favorites, like they're going to sweep them in four games and Golden State's just going to waltz into the second round of the playoffs. I don't see it like that. But what I do see is that Steph's going to provide an element for this team that's been missing the last couple of weeks to go alongside with Clay Thompson. I mean, Clay Thompson finished the year extremely well. I remember against the Pelicans in the last game of the year, he dropped 41 points in 31 minutes. And then if they're able to get decent contributions from Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole is really kind of that one guy to kind of look at from Golden State. He's he's really kind of that, that younger piece that Golden State has at their disposal who could really play lights out and could put up 25, 30 points if he's knocking down his shots. He's going to be interesting to see in this series. And then the biggest thing I think defensively that Golden State's going to have to focus on is Kavon Looney against Nikola Jokic. Jokic is potentially getting back-to-back MVPs, and Jokic is going to probably going to go out there and average at least 25 points, if not 30 points consistently, probably averaging close to 10 to 15 rebounds a game and probably eight assists game when these two teams go at it in this series you know that's definitely a weak point for Golden State there's no doubt about that it's just that I think with Steph coming back into the fold I think it just raises the entire confidence of the team and I think it's enough to propel them against the Nuggets in this series you know the way that I see this series going in I have a I have a basic idea that I think it's going to end in six games just because I think Jokic is going to be able to get some games for Denver just because the guy has been playing absolutely phenomenal this year. You know, following what he did last year when he won an MVP, could very well win it again this year. I can't slight on that in any way, shape, or form. I think he's going to go out there and be dominant in multiple games this series. But I just don't think that the Nuggets have enough firepower to offset what Golden State presents with Steph play Jordan Poole and potentially guys like Jonathan Kaminga and even Draymond here and there. So all in all, I think this is going to be a great series, but Steph is really the difference maker and him coming back into the fold, I think is a difference maker. That's just how I see it. It's going to be a good series. I mean, you have when healthy two potential MVP candidates in Steph Curry when he's on. And then obviously Nikola Jokic being as dominant as he is. And when you really try to make the comparison in terms of the impact they both can have, one is a point guard that shoots the lights out. The other one is seven feet tall that basically can play like a guard himself. It's just, it's almost unheard of. It actually is unheard of, at least in my opinion. Yeah. And um, I think that the two of them going at it, you know, I know that last year Denver had the run that they did and 
they fell short and got embarrassed by uh, by Phoenix. I think that this year they don't expect much, especially because they're missing a lot of characters on this team, especially with Michael Porter Jr. and obviously Jamal Murray missing the entire year. Um, they expect to make some noise. I wouldn't be surprised, like Kyle said, if they get two games. If they force a seven, I wouldn't be surprised. But that's all going to be dependent on, you know, the former two-time unanimous MVP, and that's Steph Curry, man. He's going to be the X factor for me because – He's got to show that he can kind of recover from this foot injury. He's got to show that he's doing all right, and everybody else has got to be able to step up. Clay's got to make big shots. We got to see Game Six Clay. You know, postseason Clay is back, and we. Uh, I want to see if Jordan Poole can handle the emergence of the postseason. Can he handle the pressure? I think if they had James Wiseman in this situation, I, I think that there, I would kind of be leaning to the fact or the possibility that uh, Golden State could win this series in five games. Uh, just because they'd be, they'd be a fully loaded roster at that another, point. It's another body. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, for somebody like that to go up against Jokic, I think that's a challenge that I think Wiseman would be looking forward to. Now, granted, I don't know if he's going to, you know, lock down Jokic. It's it's difficult to do that because really nobody's provided an answer in slowing down Jokic really this season, last season, and years on end at this point. But I think... That's one presence that they're going to miss in this playoff series because they definitely need the uh, interior defense help, especially with somebody like Jokic. And the thing is, with, with Jokic, it's like you said, like the way that he's able to facilitate as a center, it's almost unheard of the way that he does it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if he goes and averages a triple-double in this series against the Warriors because, I mean, even if Golden State improves their interior defense to slow him down from just getting to the lane and getting to the hoop. I mean, he could kick it out and get assists that way. He could get his teammates involved. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are multiple games where he gets at least seven, eight, even double-digit assists to go along with whatever he's scoring offensively and getting rebounds defensively. So all in all, I think this is going to be a great series. This is going to be a fun series for me. You know, I know there's a lot of series they're going to be very interesting uh, in the first round of the playoffs. But I think this is one that is going to be definitely fun to watch uh, from beginning to end. Oh, for sure. Now, to transition into our next series, uh, that is going to be the Dallas Mavericks going up against the Utah Jazz. And we're going to focus specifically on Luka Doncic, who is dealing with a strained calf muscle that he suffered at the end of the regular season. Now, Kevin is the Dallas Maverick fan, and we've seen Luka Doncic be a huge spark for the Mavericks this year. Um, they had a great second half to their season, and Luka was in the MVP discussion uh, when we got to the end of the regular season after really putting up one of his best years in the NBA at this point in his relatively short NBA career. But at this point, it looks like Luka is going to miss game one of that first round playoff series against the jazz. And it could be potentially significant if he misses any more games after that. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you with Luka Doncic missing game one of the series where they go up against the jazz, just how pivotal do you think it is going to be for Dallas to find a way to have a decent shot to beat the jazz with potentially Luka being out? To me, it's probably the biggest piece. Um, best player on our team, one of the best players in the entire NBA. Uh, you, you have somebody on that roster being an MVP candidate for the majority of the year, and then they just 
aren't available, it, it's detrimental to a team like ours. He's our best facilitator, one of our best playmakers, uh, has improved on the defensive end, uh, one of our best clutch performers. I mean, you name it. it, it just, Luka leads almost every single statistical category for the Mavericks this season, and you just kind of look at it like, well, how are we supposed to re- replicate that? How are we supposed to you know, replace that in any way? And you just have to look at it and say, you know what? Nico Harrison, the GM of the Mavericks, made a decision to trade Kristaps Porzingis and he had enough faith to say Spencer Dinwiddie can carry this team. He had enough faith in Jalen Brunson to, you know, lead this team when Luka was off the floor. We've had the, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? We've had the better performance of recent years from Dorian Finney-Smith to be able to knock down good shots. Uh, Reggie Bullock has been playing absolutely incredible in the second half of the season. So, I mean, we have playmakers we have people that can shoot we have people that can score it's just a matter of can they do it at a consistent clip like Luka Doncic did um I am worried about the cap strain I'm not gonna lie Kevin Durant's cap strain a couple years back has me petrified of just hearing that terminology because we all know what happened with KD and uh I don't want Luka to risk his career for the postseason man I'm not saying that we're not going to win or that we don't have the potential to do uh some damage in the playoffs but when you talk about a calf strain at this level, this late in the year, I don't want anything to be forced to where something like what happened to KD ends up happening to Luka. I, I am going to hold Jason Kidd accountable for um, the situation that Luka is currently in, in my professional opinion and my personal opinion as well as a fan. Um, I didn't think it was necessary to play him in that final game. Granted, I know it was for seeding purposes to try to compete for the third seed uh, in the Western Conference playoffs, but third versus fourth it's not like you know you were to jump two or three spots it's not like it would have gave you the home court advantage for the full season um we already had a solidified we weren't going to be lower than a fourth we had home court no matter what happened in the first round of the playoffs i thought that him staying in the game as long as he did was unnecessary i thought that him playing in the game was unnecessary luca now pays the consequence with this calf strain so in terms of overall how it's going to affect the team. I think it's going to be incredible. I think it's going to be big. Um, I think his presence is going to be missed immediately just because of everything he provides this team from a scoring and leadership standpoint. And uh, I am a little bit nervous as to how it's going to affect our depth because people are going to have to get a little bit more burn than they've been getting all season. Uh, Trey Burke's going to play a little bit more. Frank Nisalakina is going to play a little bit more. Um, Jalen Brunson is going to have a lot of pressure on him and as well as Spencer Dinwiddie. So uh, we're just going to have to see how this team combats the adversity. And we're going to have to see if Luka ends up missing more than just one game. And if he does, I would say that Dallas needs to panic because those first two games at home, if we end up falling to one or two of them, Utah's going back and Luka's going to be probably limited with that injury. And I know that Luka's been injured in the playoffs before, but when you're talking about a cap as opposed to an ankle, there's a lot more ligament damage I feel like they could end up contributing to, to lingering injuries down the path of the playoffs if we were to make it out. So, uh this is going to be huge for me. Luca's injury is going to be absolutely incredible and critical to watch. Or not incredible. It's going to be critical to watch. And uh, I'm nervous as a Mavericks fan for sure. Well, Kevin, I mean, I'm in agreement with you about the uh, the panic uh, factor when it <laughs> comes to the Mavericks at this point. Simply just because, you know, the Mavericks have been a really consistent team uh, from beginning to end this season. But it's largely been predicated on the success of Doncic. Granted... I think adding Spencer Dinwiddie has been a valuable add so far, and he's proved to be a, a very solid piece uh, for Dallas after making that trade uh, with Chris Porzingis going to the Wizards. And 
the way that I see it is that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to have to kind of take the leadership role here for the Mavericks until Luka comes back. Because the one thing that I like about Spencer is that, you know, Spencer has gone through his own injury issues in the past, but he's never let that deter him from the spotlight. And I think this year in particular, when he got to the Mavericks, granted, I know Kevin um, initially criticized the trade um, that sent Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans to the Mavs, but really Dinwiddie has stepped up and been a valuable piece for this team to go alongside Luka Doncic. And I do think that until Luka Doncic gets back, I do think that Spencer Dinwiddie could handle the pressure of being the focal piece of this team moving forward until Luka gets back from his calf issue. Now, even when Luka gets back from his calf issue, I still think that there are going to be issues with the Mavericks against the Jazz in this series because, Kevin, it's like you said, we don't know whether or not that Luka's going to be fully 100% when he gets back into the court. More than likely, he's probably going to be around 85, maybe 90%. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Luka deal with some sort of limp uh, when he gets back based on this calf injury that he's dealing with. And Kevin, it's like you said, there's always that fear. You know, are they going to rush him back just to get him into the, the playoff series and to get them onto the second round of the playoffs? And we've seen in the past where guys weren't necessarily ready to go, like Kevin Durant, for example, even though that they thought that they were ready, their body said otherwise, and they had to pay the price for it. And it's unfortunate because, you know, in Kevin Durant's case, you snap at Achilles um, in the NBA Finals, and I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, not only was the Finals over for him at that point, but it pretty much will wipe out most of a season, if not an entire season after that. And hopefully for Luka, uh, Luka's done enough to rehab this calf to where you don't have to worry about potentially tearing an Achilles because that would just be absolutely uh, dreadful for the Mavericks, not just for this playoff run, but going into next season as well. Uh, that would be a nightmare scenario for them moving forward. And I do think that right now with, with the way that I see it, I do think that the Mavs are in legitimate trouble at this point because I think if you don't have Luka consistently providing you a spark uh, going into this playoff series, I can see the Jazz rolling through this series relatively easy just because Luka, he's the main guy that they have to focus on. And if he's not even in the lineup, that makes the Jazz's job a hell of a lot easier than what they initially anticipated. Granted, they still have to go out and they still have to execute. But when you take Luka away, who's essentially the main force for the Dallas Mavericks out of the lineup because of this calf issue, the Jazz could look at this as an opportunity. They see blood in the water. And they'll they'll go for broke in those first two uh, road games to possibly go up 2-0 in the series. And then when you go back home for games three and four at home, that's a dream scenario if you're the Jazz, if, if you end up in that situation. So the way that I see it, you know, the Jazz are probably in the driver's seat at this current moment in time just based off of the injury that Luka's dealing with. And when Luka gets back, there's no guarantee that the Mavs can be able to offset what the Jazz present them because the Jazz could look at that as like, you know, they see Lucas, you know, not 100%. They can take advantage of that, not only on the offensive side of the ball, they can focus on that defensively where he has to kick it out to some other role players that the Mavs have on the roster. And they're not guaranteed knockdown shots. You know, with Luka, Luka, that, that step back is dangerous, but I don't know how viable it's going to be if he's dealing with a calf issue. And it could definitely be a hindrance to what he provides Mavericks on the offensive side of the ball. So 
I'm not going to give her a prediction about uh, the series, but I will say that it's this current moment in time. Uh, the Jazz looked like they're the uh, that they're definitely in the driver's seat. Um, but we have to see what happens with Luca, and um, it would be uh, it'd be unfortunate to see Luca not be able to play uh, up to his level in this series if this calf injury lingers. That's just how I see it. You know, and I'll, I'll make one final point here. Uh, my biggest thing is Luke is also one of our best rebounders outside of Dwight Powell, um, averaging almost nine rebounds a game. They have two towers out there in Utah, and Rudy Gobert and, and Son Whiteside, two very good rebounding centers. Um, that is one of our weaker attributes in terms of the ability to defensively, you know, rebound the basketball, get offensive boards, and if we're not able to get those boards and get out in transition, I'm going to be nervous that Utah is just going to beat us up and get a lot of putbacks just because, again, not that Luka is going to be the main focal point to get all of our rebounds, but when you take somebody that's averaging a good, I don't know, a couple, what, 20, 30% of our total rebounds in a game, that hurts. That's not really going to be something that we're looking forward to. I'm not even talking about the offensive end. We all know what he brings to the table, but – his rebounding is very slept on, and that's going to hurt us coming in the uh, coming into this series. I'm just a little bit worried how we're going to match up going forward. Well, and that's the thing is just you know with Luca being out for game one, everybody on that roster is going to have to step up, and they're going to have to they're going to have to you know carry the burden of Luca not being there. You know, injuries are a part of the game; that's just a part of life. But you know, you're going to have to see Dorian Finney-Smith step up. You're going to have to see Spencer Dinwiddie step up. You're going to have to see um, Dwight Powell step up. I mean, literally, you're going to have to see everybody on the starting roster be able to play up to snuff. And then you're going to have to hope for the role players to step up as well. And um, I like what what Dallas has assembled this year. I think they've been a very good team. Um, I've even said that, you know, they're they're relatively close to being a real competitive force in the Western Conference. And it may not be this year, but I think down the road within the next year or two, uh, they could definitely be that. I mean, I, I've even said that they're really kind of one piece away from being that legitimate force uh, in the Western Conference for years to come. But this year, it, it looks like the odds are kind of stacked against them just based off of this injury. But if Luka is effective, um, despite the fact that he's dealing with his calf issue, this series is going to be fun. If he's yeah. able, to, If he's able to still be effective even at 85, 90%, this is going to be a fun series. This is that classic four or five matchup. Uh, It's typically one of the better series that we'll see. But overall, if Luka could play up this enough when he gets back from this injury, uh, that's the best case scenario for Dallas. It's no guarantee that they'll win the series, but it will be exciting to watch for sure. Now, with that said, we're going to transition to our last topic of discussion, and that is going to be the Brooklyn Nets going up against the Boston Celtics. So we kind of talked about the Nets a little bit earlier when we talked about the Cavs. The Nets, excuse me, uh, the Nets beat the Cavs in the first play-in tournament. And when they won that game, they clinched the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. And they will go up against the Boston Celtics, who have been probably the hottest team in the NBA the second half of the season. They were really on just a frenetic pace in the second half of the year, climbing up all the way to the two-seed and becoming a legitimate force in the Eastern Conference by the end of the regular season. So this is definitely going to be an interesting matchup uh, when these two teams go at it. Now, we're going to focus on the Boston side of things, and we're going to focus on what sort of impact that they could present um, Brooklyn in this series. 
Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, who do you think is going to be the most impactful player for the Celtics when they go up against the Nets in the first round of the playoffs? I know that everybody wants to say Jason Tatum, and I know that he's the guy that's single-handedly been carrying this team into the current state that they're in right now. But when we talk about most impactful, an X factor, it's got to be somebody different. It's got to be somebody that's going to make or break this team. And in my opinion, that's Jalen Brown. It's always going to be Jalen Brown. We know that Jason's going to get his 20 to 25 shots up. We know that Jason's going to score anywhere from 25 to 30. We know that Jason is going to be able to rebound the basketball and defend Kevin Durant as best to his capabilities. Uh, But when you're talking about somebody that needs to step up and be that Robin to his Batman, someone that's got to step up and be the B to his A, he's got to be able to go out there and he's got to lock up on the defensive side, whether he's matched up against Kyrie, whether he's matched up against KD, whether he's matched up against Patty Mills, I don't know. Jalen's got to dominate one side of the ball. Now, I don't know if some would say he's got to pick and choose which one he wants to do. Are you going to put in all your efforts to try to slow down one of the premier two scores? Or are you going to accept a, a you know a more of an offensive journey since we know that Brooklyn isn't exactly known for guarding very well and kind of being uh, known for a defensive-minded uh, as, a, as a team? They're not known for defense, should I say. Jalen Brown's got to do 25. A game minimum. Jalen Brown's got to have the series of his life. Ironically enough, these two teams played against each other in the postseason last year. Um, Jalen, excuse me. Um, oh my goodness. Jason Tatum was able to carry the Celtics getting a win and with a 50 point performance at that. So it was no easy feat, except it was reversed last year. Brooklyn was the two seed, Boston was the seventh seed. And now we've actually reversed the roles. And now. Boston is one of the best, if not the best, defensive-rated team in the in the NBA. Uh, Jason Tatum is having an MVP-caliber season. Obviously, Robert Williams is hurt, one of their better defenders. So it is going to be solely on the shoulders of Marcus Smart, a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, to go out there and make his presence known on the defensive side of the ball as well. But he's got to hit his open shots. He's got to make sure that he's locking down those floaters and making those layups and getting those scrappy loose balls. But... Jalen's got to perform to the best of his ability. I'm talking like 45% from the field, maybe 34, 35% from the three-point line, 75 to 80% from the free throw line. Uh, He's got to, got to, got to help Jason. Jason cannot do this alone. He carried Boston to one win last year, and that was without Kyrie Irving playing in that series. Kyrie has been an absolute monstrous tear over the last couple of weeks since they've lifted that mandate in New York City. And even prior to that, he was able to perform at a stellar level. Um, I think that all the pressures on Boston, I think that everything is going to fall on the shoulders of Jalen Brown and, of course, Jason Tatum. But, yeah, man, if I really had to say it, Jalen's got a lot of pressure on him because we all know what Jason can do. If Jalen underperforms, man, I'm going to make a bold statement right here. I think Jalen might get traded this offseason. I don't know about traded, but I will say this. I, I can appreciate where you're, where you're coming from with Jalen. And I'm actually going to side with you on this one because I was kind of thinking, because, like, you know, it, it, Jason is clearly, like, the number one player that Boston oh, yeah. has on their roster. Right? Everybody knows that. that. That's not anything surprising. But the one aspect that I have to focus on with Jalen Brown, the one element in his game that I think is better than Jason Tatum's, is his defensive presence. And I think with Jalen's defensive capabilities, that's going to be a focal point to me to watch throughout this entire series. 
no matter who Jalen Brown is guarded against, or uh, guard he guards against, he's got to play elite defense. He's got to play incredible defense because you look at Brooklyn. Brooklyn is primarily, like Kevin said, a offensively minded team. They're going to go out there and score at least 110, 115 points if they're able to knock down their shots consistently. The only thing that makes that makes that a difference is whether or not if Boston can play good defense. And Jalen Brown is one of the enforcers that they have on their roster to maybe go alongside like Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart definitely brings that, that element of grit to that team. But Jalen Brown's defensive capabilities have to be respected. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to have to watch because he's guarding Kevin Durant. If he's guarding Kyrie Irving, or if he's guarding somebody like Bruce Bat, I'm just picking players that he may potentially get matched up against. If he's able to slow them down, because I don't think he's going to be able to lock up anybody, but if he's able to slow them down to the point where they're inconsistent against Jalen Brown, that's huge for Boston moving forward because the less amount of points that Boston gives up, the better that they're they're going to be because it's like Kevin said, Boston is one of the better defensive teams, if not the best defensive team in the NBA this season, and it's for good reason. There have been games where I've watched Boston where they've played phenomenal defense and they've held teams to under 100 points consistently. And I think going up against Brooklyn, that is of utmost importance. If they're able to do that consistently against a offensive-driven team like Brooklyn with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant leading the way, that gives them a very good shot to win this series against Brooklyn. Even though, like for me personally, I think that Brooklyn is still going to win this series just because I think the firepower is going to be too much for Boston to handle. That doesn't mean that I don't think that Boston can win this series. Boston has the pieces to be able to beat Brooklyn, and it's simply just turning up the the defensive pressure from beginning to end in this series. And to go along with that, if the defense is working on that side of the ball, hopefully on the other side of the ball, you have guys like Jason Tatum, you have guys like Marcus Smart, maybe even Peyton Pritchard, who can knock down their shots consistently to go along with Jalen Brown as well. Because Jason Tatum can go out there and score 40 points if he needs to, but Jalen Brown could also put up 25, 30 points if he's just given the right opportunities. So, I think if you're looking at it from Boston's perspective, if I had to say their X factor going into this net series, it's not Jason Tatum. It's Jalen Brown because of what he could do, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but the defensive side of the ball. That's something where I think Jalen has a much more well-rounded game in that regard. Jason is better than Jalen as far as his offensive capabilities go, but I give the slight edge to Jalen as just a well-rounded player because I have to respect what he does on the defensive side of the ball. And I think he's going to be the biggest piece to watch moving forward for Boston if they were to beat Brooklyn in this series. It's going to be a very fun series, and I can't wait to see this series uh, go down because it's going to be entertaining as hell. So that's just how I see it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, since KD's come back from his injury, he's been averaging probably 30, if not 30 more points, 30 plus points, and he's just been pretty much dominating every single opponent he's come up against. Kyrie Irving, we already know, has been doing absolutely incredible. And now we're, we're forgetting the, the, the biggest part here. Uh, ben Simmons supposedly is potentially 
scheduled to be coming back within between games four or, you know, between games four and six. Again, that all depends on, you know, the outcome of the series. And I would assume, and Kyle and I agreed before we, we started recording, if Brooklyn goes up 3-0, I don't think that Ben is going to end up risking it for game four. And, you know, if Boston comes up and gets that, maybe they'll use him to solidify uh, a series victory. But overall, you throw Ben Simmons into this mix, someone that hasn't necessarily played with this team, but somebody that can defend, that's going to be a pain in the ass for Jason Tatum to deal with. Henceforth, why I say even more that Jalen Brown's going to have to step up before Ben even gets there. Because if Ben does get on this court, all bets are off on the defensive side of the ball. Ben ain't got to score a damn point. As long as you sit there and you facilitate and you defend and you defend and you rebound that Man, Boston is in for a rude awakening, bro. Heaven forbid Seth Curry catches fire. Heaven forbid the uh, you know you get Andre Drummond going out there and giving you twenty boards and, and three four blocks. This team has the potential to go out there and dominate outside of just the two superstars that are Kyrie, Kyrie and KD. So, like I said, Boston better come ready to fight because this is going to be a brawl, and I would not be surprised if this series goes seven off the bat. This is going to be a scrap. I think this has a this has a very good chance to be like a scrap series. I think there are going to be games where I think Brooklyn just shoots the lights out and Boston's going to have no answer for it. But there are going to be other games where I think it's going to be a defensive battle from beginning to end. It's just that with Brooklyn, Brooklyn is very weak on that side of the ball. And listen, if Jason and Jalen get hot, I don't know if the Nets have the requisite pieces to be able to slow down. Um, Boston in that regard. So that's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. But I I mean, I think this is probably one of the most compelling series that we have on the weekend slate and moving forward in the first round of the playoffs. So I think it's going to be great to watch. I'm just happy playoff basketball is here, bro. It's man, the season just flew by, but man, this is is what they all play for. You know, this is where you got, you know, put everything on the table and this is what it's all about. So for all the marbles, we're a long way away from the finals, but got to start somewhere. It starts this weekend, and I can't wait for it. Fact. But uh, yeah, I think we uh, I think we knocked out all of our topics. Are you uh, ready to wrap this up? Oh yeah, man, I'm ready for bed. Tomorrow's Friday, or should I say it's Friday right now? Yep. Um, we are Kyle and I are both dead to the world. We are gonna we're gonna wrap this one up, man. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll just kind of take it from here um appreciate you guys tuning in whether you guys were listening on the audio platforms or if you're watching us on youtube we definitely appreciate the support if you're on youtube you know give us a like if you guys want to support the channel hit that subscribe button below any sort of support that we can get we definitely appreciate that um you know if you're listening to us on the audio platforms uh don't be afraid to download our podcast uh, we upload weekly usually two episodes a week and uh, we will be back next week really kind of more of just an update on where these series stand in the first round of the playoffs in the NBA. Um, MLB is in full swing. Uh, we may talk a little bit about some baseball news going into next week. So definitely be on the lookout for that. But other than that, until then, I got nothing else to say from here. Um, Kevin, the floor, is your to take, the floor is yours to take us home. All right. Well, guys, like Kyle alluded to, uh, we appreciate all the support. Things have been going great on social media platforms. Kyle and I finally made a TikTok. Uh, bare bones of it, just a profile, but we are looking to upload some things over the next couple of weeks, uh, next couple of days, actually. Um, you know, I kind of put out a couple of feelers, try to 
learn how TikTok really works, kind of get an understanding of how the algorithm works. But we're expanding our social media presence. Twitter's growing, Instagram's growing, um, both at slow paces. But again, we just appreciate any and all help we've received over the last couple of uh, last couple of months. And uh, we'll be back on Sunday, ready to go once again. Yes, sir. Until then, you guys, uh, take it easy, and we'll see you guys next week. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's it. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big touchdown. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.